The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yeah, welcome to the show. Good to have you here. John Scholes uh, alongside managing partner Alex Luchaferro. And you want to reach out to Alex and his team anytime you can do so. You have Employment Law Matters questions. Have a conversation. Really, really simple. Here's how you do it before we even get into the show. one 821 5900 Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the website pocketemploymentlawyer.ca has all things about employment law you may need or wonder about. It's free. It's anonymous. The severance pay calculator is there as well, so you can use that at your leisure whenever you would like. But we got lots of stuff to get through on the show today. Good to have you here. And we're going to be talking about severance myths during COVID-19. Maybe some email, and if we have time, you have to do something about it if, dot, dot, dot. We'll give you those talking points as well, but we always get right into it. With a couple things going on in your world uh, today, Alex, uh, the week that was. How are you, pal? Thanks very yeah, much. Great to be here. Another busy, busy week for us, uh, John. Lots of people contacting us with questions about their work, questions about uh, their employment. The hot-button topic continues to be mandatory vaccination policies, uh, John, and whether employers can force employees to be vaccinated. But listen, we're also still speaking to lots of people about, you know, the usual employment law subjects we discussed, severance pay, temporary layoffs are still uh, a thing and still a very important topic. And, and listen, you know, it's always great when people reach out to us, John. I mean, we always encourage people to contact us, seek out that help, seek out that information and ultimately the advice that they need to resolve their workplace problems. Whether you want to call into the show right now, that would be absolutely great. Let's get that problem resolved uh, over the next hour or so. Or if you want to contact us off air, however you want to get a hold of us, the important thing is that you, if you have questions about your work, if you're being let go from your job, if your boss is bullying you, uh, if your boss is not holding up its end of the bargain, their end of the bargain, you need to speak with an employment lawyer as soon as possible. These kinds of conversations can't wait. They can literally affect your entire uh, career. And as an employee, uh, John, as we've been saying for years and years and years now, the more information, the more knowledge you have about your rights in the workplace, the more protected and prepared you're going to be to deal with these workplace issues. Yeah. So, all of that out of the way, John, let's get started, as you mentioned, with uh, a segment we call The Week That Was. It's an opportunity to talk about a couple of matters that came across specifically my desk uh, this week, and then I, I think, you know, illustrate a couple of good examples and good lessons uh, for our listeners. First one, John, has to deal with, again, the hot-button topic, and that is mandatory vaccination uh, policies. We've seen this a ton over the past couple of months. It's obviously been in the news uh, for several uh, months now. And slowly but surely, John, the law the law is going to be developing and going to be uh, clear with respect to these vaccination policies. And again, uh, I spoke to a lady on Thursday uh, with respect to her situation. I think it will give a good example for our listeners out there with respect to what employees can do if an employer is forcing them to be vaccinated or right. otherwise risk uh, losing their yep. jobs. Yep. So, spoke to a lady, had been employed with the same company, John, for 32 years. This is a long service employee. She was in her late 50s. She was a supervisor in her position, an administrative position, but she supervised a group of employees. Uh, and in September, she was uh, asked by her employer to confirm by November 15th, uh, whether or not she had been double vaccinated. 
Otherwise, she would be uh, terminated. Her employment would come to an end. Now, uh, this lady is not an anti-vaxxer, uh, 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 John, and uh, you know she she fully like like many of us do, and many of us should. She fully understands how important vaccination uh, is and the health risks of COVID nineteen. But because of her own kind of personal medical issues, she was uncomfortable being vaccinated. She told her employer about this. Uh, and despite all of that, John, the employer still let her go on November 15th uh, once she had confirmed that she wasn't vaccinated. Now, in doing so, John, the employer offered her four months of severance in order <laughs> to let her go. This is a 32-year employee in her late 50s, John, uh, and who was in a supervisor position when she was being let go. Now, aside from the actual offer... Uh, John, this lady had been working from home for the majority of the time with with COVID-19. She was following all of the other health and safety protocols that the company was requiring of her, masking, physical distancing, all all of that stuff. And despite that, they let her go and they made her this measly offer of four months of severance. And what I told her uh, was the following. And again, this will apply to lots of people in exactly this kind of situation. Number one. Unfortunately, we cannot physically stop an employer from letting letting an employee go on the basis of their vaccination uh, status. That is going to happen. We cannot, or, or any employment lawyer for that matter, or any employee for that matter, cannot stop a company from letting them go. The employer is going to make that decision. Your employment's going to come to an end on this issue uh, if if an employer is trying to force a vaccination policy. That's the unfortunate reality of the situation. It then becomes a question of, well, what are the employee's entitlements once they've been let go? So once that uh, termination is accomplished, again, we we can't stop that. What is an employee owed as a result of that termination? Now, this lady, uh, uh, John, again, she works in an office. Uh, There was no government mandate in place that required the employer to impose a vaccination uh, policy. And again, they were handling the COVID situation very, very well with all of the other health and safety protocols. So in this lady's particular case, because of those reasons, she is owed her full severance entitlements like any other employee would yep. be owed in the circumstances. Now, given this lady's 32 years of service, John, guess what? She's owed her maximum severance entitlements, which is 24, 24 months. months of pay. Yep. Exactly. Two years of pay, John. In the face of the company having offered her four months, you know, I'm not not to sound too extreme here, but that's a slap in the face for an employee who's given 32 years of of service to the company, to the great benefit of the company. So, all of that said, uh, John, we're going to be waking again. I just spoke to this lady earlier this uh, week. We're going to be we're going to be working with this lady now to get her the proper severance that she's owed. This is not controversial stuff, John. This is going to be a very very straightforward matter. Uh, to resolve. There's no question this lady is owed 24 months of pay, and that's what we are going to get her, regardless of the circumstances of her termination, regardless of the fact that she was terminated for not following the vaccination policy. All of these employees, John, are owed their full severance entitlements, with very, very few exceptions, uh, the main ones being if there is a government mandate in place. And of course, if you're a unionized employee, John, as we've said throughout the years, unfortunately, the union will make a decision when it comes to severance. As always, the uh, the phone calls are the top priority on this show in between the topics and the chit-chat that you and I have, Alex. So we'll get to a call before a uh, short break here. Hey, Paul, thanks for standing by. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good, sir. What's uh, what's on I your mean, mind today? 
my my son has had a interview for a uh, local business in Peterborough, and uh, he's gone through all the preliminary steps. Now they're doing like his background check and all that other stuff, and that came back fine. Now they're asking for proof of vaccination, and he has had no vaccine or vaccinations all his life, even baby shots. Um, we're not against vaccination by per se, because our other children have vaccines. But um, is that legal for them to ask him for proof of vaccination to be hired? Yeah, it's an interesting uh, question, and I certainly uh, appreciate it, Paul. The jury is still out. So there is certainly an argument here, Paul, that uh, requiring proof of vaccination uh, is potentially discrimination because you are making a decision to either hire an employee in your son's case or even potentially terminate an employee on the basis of what's called perceived disability. In other words, an uh, you know an employee that's unvaccinated may be viewed as uh, a safety uh, risk or potentially disabled uh, because they don't have the vaccine. And again, if employers are making decisions on that basis, it may be discrimination on the basis of disability or, again, what's called perceived disability. Now, as I mentioned, Paul, the jury is still out on that issue. There is an argument there in that respect, but there is no clear indication from a human rights tribunal or a court whether that's the case or not. And there is potentially the risk that requiring vaccination as a term of employment may ultimately, given the health and safety issues at play, may ultimately deemed uh, reasonable. So there are, there may be arguments on both sides uh, there, Paul. If your son is kind of really concerned about this, he may want to seek some advice from an employment lawyer. And certainly, you guys can give us a call off air. Let's let's you know dive into it. If your son was offered a job and then this is kind of a condition that they're adding after the fact. That may very well be problematic for the employer. Uh, again, the devil's always in the details. Yeah. Well, the the kicker is that, like I said, he has he has no vaccines, and we we drew up an affidavit before he started um, school, and he's done all his schooling with no vaccines, which is not say per se mandatory to go to school for it, but it is a requirement, and he was able to go to school all those years with no vaccines that other children are told that they have to have. So wouldn't that be if we we said we said in the or he said in his email back to say that he will he can produce the affidavit that allowed him to go to school and if they require an um, an additional affidavit we're more than willing to get one due to you know religious and conscious beliefs. Yeah, I certainly understand understand what you mean, Paul. I think the difficulty is that one situation doesn't necessarily apply to the other. So what's required, uh, you know, for schools, the analysis, the legal analysis at least, is different when it comes to the workplace. When it comes to a, a, you know an employment law analysis, it is always a question of kind of balancing an individual's uh, uh, liberty and ultimately their bargaining power in an employment relationship versus health and safety. In, in the workplace, and that's that's the analysis. So I don't know if you can necessarily apply one situation to the other. Um, and again, you know, if this if this opportunity was important to your son, uh, and there you know there might be a potential loss there for not getting the job as a result, 
you might want to get some advice here and think about, you know, is there potentially an approach here that you can uh, make to try and resolve the issue and, um, you know, potentially there's some recourse there. Paul, appreciate the call. Feli, I want to reach out any further, have a conversation. Alex and his crew can uh, can take care of you. Call 1-855-821-5900 and help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll continue. Employment Law Show right here, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All right, good to have you sticking around. Thank you so much for tuning in uh, the show today. I want to reach out to Alex Luciferro, managing partner, Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the land, coast to coast to coast. They are uh, they're the top dog. One eight five five eight. 2-1-5900 after the show anytime. Help at employmentlawyer.ca as well. Let's get into this, Alex. And our topic for uh, for the day is severance myths during COVID-19. Lots of them, but we've narrowed it down to about five. Number one is this. You only receive ah, one or two weeks severance pay uh, per year spent at the company. How about that? Yeah, it's it's amazing, uh, John, how many times we hear this kind of day Still, in, day yeah. out, week in, week out. Uh, it is such a prevalent myth out there that severance is limited to one or two weeks uh, per year of service. Again, I mean, as employment lawyers that speak to people every single day who have been let go and been offered severance packages, uh, you know, people just automatically assume that that's the case. And I think the reason why, uh, John, is oftentimes that information will kind of leak out uh, uh, by their employers, by these employees' employers, and that's what these employees are offered as severance packages, and they just kind of assume that, well, I guess the, the employer's doing what it has to do. It's following the law, and that is so obviously not the case. Uh, John, severance is not... Uh, I repeat, is not one or two weeks per year of service. It never is, uh, John. Severance is based on an employee's age, position, and their years of service with the company. The older you are, the more senior your position, the longer you've been with that same company, the more severance you're going uh, to get, and there is no set formula. It's not Mm. one week per year of service. It can't even really be calculated as a month per year of service. Um, the analysis is always context specific. Just as an example, John, you can have a six month employee who's only been there for half a year and they're going to get four or five months of severance pay. So literally four or five and a half times or 10 times the amount yeah. the, the, of the length that they've actually been there. So never assume what severance is as an employee. Never assume that your employer is offering you the right amount of money. Never assume that it's one or two weeks uh, per year of service. If you've been let go from your job, if you've been offered a severance package, and even if you haven't been offered a severance package, if you're being uh, terminated for alleged cause because you apparently did something terribly wrong, again, don't assume your employer's correct. Make sure you give us a call. Speak with an employment lawyer. Odds are, whatever the company is offering you, it is far, far less than what you're actually owed based on your age, position, and years of service, based on your full severance entitlements. So true. And again, always give Alex a call if you're in any doubt and uh, just have a conversation. will cost you anything just to get your bearings on what you're owed for sure because Alex mentions it's uh, usually 99% of the time falls dreadfully short of what it should be. 
Uh, grab another call in between here. Jim, thanks for hanging on. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, sir. What's uh, what's going on today? Okay, so I'm going to try and do this without giving too much detail. But I guess so. Basically, my wife is a nurse outside, not in a hospital. And they're attempting to change, not attempting, they're changing the way that they pay them after she's been there for a few years. And um, the way it's working is drastically affecting her ability to uh, make her overtime hours. And upon like a meeting with HR, they even, I guess, met with, with the finance department and, and did a calculation and determined that she will in fact be losing money year over year with this new pay scale. They insist that the majority of her colleagues will actually benefit from it, and therefore, you know, they can't do anything for her, and they uh, they need her to sign this new pay scale agreement by X date, or uh, she agrees to resign. What the hell they put it? Jim, is your wife a unionized employee? No. She's non-unionized. Okay, good. Um, and how significant do you think the the change in pay might actually be, uh, uh, Jim? If you can kind of put a, an approximate percentage on it, how much do you think her pay is actually changing, let's say, annually? Well, they, the way their, I guess, financial audit came back was said that she's negative 5000 a year, but by, by our math, it seemed a lot more significant. Okay, okay, fair, fair enough. And listen, even $5,000 is a lot of money. Uh, right for for anyone. So even if it's as low as that, uh, I appreciate you reaching out, Jim. And it's an excellent question, and obviously a tough situation that your wife is in. A significant change in somebody's pay like this uh, is going to be considered what's called a constructive dismissal. Uh, an employer is not allowed to make those kinds of significant changes to an employee's employment, especially Jim, when it comes to pay. Maybe an employer can change an employee's position a little bit. They can change their responsibilities, their job description a little bit. But when it comes to a big change in pay like this, they are not allowed to do that. So either your wife's employer, Jim, needs to back off and make sure that she doesn't lose anything here. Otherwise, your wife can treat this as a termination. Again, what's called a constructive dismissal. And she can get severance uh, and get out of the company. And that might be actually be the better move, Jim, because that severance will be calculated on her full compensation mm-hmm. and not the lesser compensation that, that she's forced to accept. You said she's been there for a couple of years, Jim. Do you know exactly how long she's been working uh, with the company? Yeah, she's been there for five years, and she did, so I do listen to the show quite a bit. I knew a mm-hmm. lot of that already, but I guess my concern was um, I did look over her like employment contract that she had previously signed, and me, obviously, I don't know much about it. But I think it said something about calculating severance and being paid out severance, but it was based on something called like the ESA or the ERA mm-hmm. or something like that. And they said yes, they're allowed to change terms based on those. And that would have been a contract she signed about five years ago, I guess, when she started with the company? Yeah. Okay, okay. So I can tell you this, uh, Jim, and, and, and John's right. It's the ESA, which stands for the Employment Standards Act. I could tell you, Jim, if she signed that contract five years ago, there's a very, very good chance that that termination language is unenforceable, meaning there would be nothing nothing limiting your wife's severance entitlement. So her severance would be based on her five years of service, her position as a nurse, and however old she is, she's probably going to be in the range, Jim, of about six to eight months 
as a severance package again depending on on her age so you're you know she's now in a position where she has to decide do you want to accept this pay reduction or do you want to instead pursue severance it's obviously a tough decision don't get me wrong uh it's worth a conversation jim have your wife reach out to us let's have a conversation uh off air get into the details she should do this now because the longer time goes on the empl- the more the employers are going to just assume that she's going along with this so you need to act right away Right. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate uh, your time today as well. Uh, you probably already know it because you listen so much. Good on you. Thank. Appreciate that. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is a way to reach out to Alex and his team after the show. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Also works. Want to get back to our topic of the day, uh, Alex? And uh, of course, some of this is going to focus around COVID nineteen because that's kind of what we're doing today. In fact, miss during COVID nineteen severance miss number two. You're not owed severance because there was a good reason to terminate your employment. Yeah, this is one we're seeing, uh, John, and and, uh, I wanted to touch on this specifically in the context of mandatory vaccination policies. So as I was discussing at the top of the show, we're seeing a lot of people let go because they're not following these vaccination policies because they're either not confirming that they're vaccinated, they they don't want to disclose that medical information, or alternatively, they're confirming that they're not uh, vaccinated. Employers are, some employers, not all, uh, but a good number of employers, John, are letting employees go for cause or for what's known as just cause, uh, because of their vaccination status. And again, that is a problem, uh, uh, John. These employees are owed severance. And so even though the employer thinks that you know not being vaccinated is a good reason to terminate uh, their employment, and they're not being offered severance, these employees, as a result of it, that is nonsense, uh, John. Again, except for very, very rare circumstances where there's a government mandate in place. Uh, these employees are going to be owed severance and they're going to be owed the same severance that all employees are owed based on their age, position, and years of service. They're not, you know, they don't get less severance just because they're being terminated for for cause, supposedly. The analysis isn't different. It's the same as any other employee. And again, they're owed their full uh, severance entitlement. So just because your employer mentions a reason for your termination, let's say in a termination letter, if they're alleging that they're terminating you for cause, or if they're alleging that they're terminating you for some other reason, the reason for termination ultimately doesn't matter here. What matters is whether the employee is being offered the proper amount of severance. Uh, And in almost all of the situations that we're seeing here when it comes to these vaccination policies, employees are owed severance. Uh, And they're not, you know, and they don't have to take some sort of discount just because of the nature of their termination. And there you go. We'll move on to our next point here, uh, Alex, and that is severance missed during COVID-19. And you, you talked about this earlier in the show, and that is short service employees get a very small amount of severance. Yeah. Again, another myth, uh, John, that is rampant and that you know we hear on a daily basis as employment lawyers. And I actually had mm-hmm. just someone the other day who was a seven-month employee saying, well, actually, you know, what am I going to get? About a week, a week severance based on, you know, I haven't even been there for a year. And funnily enough, uh, uh, John, this person was on a year-long contract and was let go seven months in. And in that case, when we're dealing with a fixed-term contract, when a contract has a specific start date and a specific end date, they're actually owed the balance of the contract when they're let go. So in this gentleman's case, he was let go seven months into a year-long contract. He was actually owed five months of severance, which was the balance of the contract, the leftover period 
of time. But even in a case, you know, even if it's not a fixed term contract, even an indefinite term contract where there's no end date, you know, uh, you can be uh, a six month employee, as I was saying, and still be owed several months uh, of severance. And that is because the law in Ontario, and actually throughout Canada as well, is clear that shorter term employees are owed disproportionately more severance as compared to longer term employees. And that is because it might take that short-term employee just as long to find new employment. And ultimately, that is the point of severance. Severance is meant to hold an employee over until they can find new work. And so even though you've only been with the company for six months and you've let, been let go maybe because of restructuring or something like that, it might still take you, John, several months to find new work. And that's, again, what severance is for. It's meant to hold that employee over until they find that next next job so for all of those short-term employees out there that that are let go again don't assume that you're owed minimal severance because you haven't been with an employer for a long uh, time you're going to be owed way way more than number one what your employer is offering you and number two what you actually think you might be owed uh, and so make sure you get advice in a situation like that plus isn't there also the fact that you know you you might have to allow for the fact that you know a potential employer is saying okay why were you let go from this job previous after working there for only three months yeah yeah that's a great point john there's a stigma of course with being a short-term yeah. employee and a, and, a, and almost always it has nothing to do with the employee that's right. right usually it's a restructuring or you know the business has changed or the position has changed and that employee's job is is uh, lost as a result and of course that makes for those interviews uh you know to to be very awkward and difficult conversations having to explain away why you were with the employer for such a short period of time we'll take a short break again get right back into more and uh, of course your phone calls always uh, always right there and you want to reach out afterwards to Alex and his team 1855821500 help at employmentlawyer.ca and quite simply the website employmentlawyer.ca go to the media tab and you can watch past and current episodes of our TV show as well so you can do that we'll continue employment law show global news radio you are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And we are back at it. Alex Luciferro, our managing uh, partner here, managing lawyer, Sam Firu Tamarkin, LLP, has taken all the uh, calls and making all the heavy lifting as he does every show. I just simply sit here and try to look good, but uh, but there you go. You want to reach out to Alex anytime when the show's not happening, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. And uh, that's the way you want to do that. Back to our topic at hand in between the calls, Alex, and severance myths during COVID-19. Uh, you lose your rights if you don't accept a severance offered by the company's deadline, the old Friday at 5 routine, right? Yeah, exactly. Another uh, another common question and common myth that we have to deal with all the time, uh, John, and, and that's the panic that employees feel when they see a deadline in a termination letter. And think, oh my God, I have to, you know, I have to figure this all out by Friday at at five o'clock, and that means I only have a couple of days. What do I do? And and again, we speak to people every single day, and lots of people feel that pressure, uh, uh, John, and it's unfair, uh, and ultimately it's unfounded. And the reason why is because. 
listen, an employee's severance entitlements don't change. The legal analysis, John, doesn't change come Friday at 5.01 p.m. At the end of the day, severance is severance. It's supposed to be calculated based on an employee's age, position, and years of service, whether that meets the company's deadline or not. And so what we will tell people oftentimes is, listen, don't worry about the company's deadline. This analysis, your rights as an employee don't change uh, if you don't meet that deadline. Listen, you still want to resolve these severance situations, John, as quickly as possible. Sure. I mean, really, the sooner you can resolve this, the better for the employee as well. And so you don't want to sit on a severance uh, claim. I mean, ultimately, an employee has two years from the date of their termination to deal with severance. That's what we call a limitation period. But again, you don't want to sit on on this. So the sooner you get you know, the severance negotiation started, the sooner they can resolve. But do not uh, feel pressured as an employee to sign off on a severance package just because you've been given a deadline. Do not be tricked. Do not be fooled into signing off on something that is far less than what your full severance entitlements are just because you've been given a deadline. Don't be shy to ask for an extension. And worse comes to worse, let that deadline lapse. It's more important that you get advice from an employment lawyer on a company severance offer than meeting the company's arbitrarily imposed yeah. deadline. Again, these deadlines don't mean anything. Just a pressure tactic, right, to get you to sign and get exactly you off the books. What it is. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one more of these before we move on to uh, some emails. Another topic, and that is a company doesn't have to pay severance if they close down. Some clarification there for sure. Yeah, another uh, another myth that we've been having to deal with more and more, John, uh, because of COVID. Obviously, it's affected the economy in a pretty significant way, and lots of employers. And I'd say, you know, the majority being kind of retail companies, retail employers have been closing down as a result of COVID nineteen and the impact it's had on on their business. Uh, and the reality is that even if a company closes its doors when they cease operations. A lot of times they will try and get away with without paying employees any severance. And that is incorrect, John. That's illegal. Even yeah. when a company shuts its doors, they're still owed, uh, employees of that company are still owed severance pay. And again, the analysis isn't different. It's not different because a company is closed down. The analysis is still based on the employee's age, position, and years of service. Uh, and they're still owed significant severance pay. Now... It's different, John, if the company claims bankruptcy. Yep. And that's when it gets tricky yeah. for an employee. If an employer is claiming bankruptcy and you've received the notice from the trustees that they're going bankrupt and there's a list of creditors, unfortunately, those employees are going to get very, very little, if any, severance out of a bankrupt company. But a lot of times, an employer will shut its doors and not go bankrupt. That's that's what happened most of the time. They just stop. They just stop working. They just stop operations. And in a case like that, again, the employee is owed their full severance. It doesn't matter that the company's closed. Let's get to an email in between, pal. Uh, first one from Lisa. COVID question actually writes in and says, Hey, Alex, I'm a marketing manager for a local company. And I've been working from home since last March. The company is now asking all of us who work from home to come back to the office, pardon me, at least two days per week. Can my employer force me to return to the office? Yeah. The short answer, Lisa, is yes. If you have been working from home strictly because of COVID as a temporary measure, then your employer is allowed to ask you to return back to work. Now, your employer has to make sure that there's still the same kind of 
health and safety measures in place in the workplace that that you know all of our uh, public uh, health authorities are requiring. So the masking, the physical distancing, uh, the cleanliness, uh, sanitizing, etc. Uh, but your employer can require to return back to work, whether it's two days a week or whether it's you know the five days a week, the Monday to Friday that you were previously working, if that was your schedule, the employer does have a right to ask. Now that uh, that's sorry, that's just if it were any other time, they decide to change it just willy nilly. I mean, you might have some uh, some ground to stand on, but this is special circumstances because people were forced to work from home uh, for a mandate for the most part, right? That's exactly right. You nailed it, John, and that's exactly what I was just going to say, which is if, Lisa, you've been working from home regardless of COVID. So let's say work from home was always a term of your employment. That's what you're, you know, those are the terms that you were hired under and you've been working from home for, you know, years and years, even pre-COVID. Then no, the the answer changes. Your employer can't force you back into work because, again, it was an already established term of employment. But all of these employees that have been working from home strictly because of COVID, I think implicitly that's always been considered a temporary measure. And again, that's what gives an employer the right to ask employees to come back. It was always temporary because of COVID. But if it wasn't temporary, if it's always been a permanent term of your employment, you're allowed to stand your ground on that issue. You have to do something about it if, number one, before we break, is your employer is building a case against you. Yeah, man, got to get up and uh, say something about that for sure. Absolutely. And this is something we do do on a regular basis, John, which is people reach out to us and they've received a warning letter or if they've received a performance improvement plan, a PIP as or PIP as lots of employers uh, will call it. And employees, you know, and as you very well put it, uh, John, a lot of times their spidey senses start tingling, right? They get this feeling that their employer is kind of lining them up for something And that is an important time to seek out advice from an employment lawyer, John, because there are steps that you can take as an employee to protect yourself in that situation. One of the main steps that we usually recommend when an employer is being uh, put on a performance plan or being reprimanded or, or given a warning letter is to respond back to the employer in writing kind of defending themselves in the situation. So if you are being critiqued because of your performance, what you probably want to do is write, mind you, it could be a very pleasant, very polite email back to your employer, but setting out why you think the employer is wrong in their assessment, wrong in their analysis, or why you think that you don't deserve to be put on a performance improvement plan. Or if you're being accused of misconduct, for example, you know your side of the story with respect to the particular incident, you want to get your version of events down on paper in the moment. Because if six months from then, uh, John, you're, you're being terminated because maybe there's been a couple of these incidences, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that there is a written record of your version of events, of your side of the story, uh, because otherwise your employer may feel that, that it has caused to terminate your employment or may feel is that there's there's kind of no disputed evidence and that will make them feel bullish and maybe even terminating you without any severance whatsoever. So make sure that there's a written record of events as they're transpiring and especially when you feel your employer is building a case against you. You have to do something about it if more of those talking points on the way.
In between that, though, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred, the uh, number to reach out to Alex and his crew, and help at employmentlawyer.ca anytime as well. We'll continue Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Right back at her, Alex Luchaferro, and uh, he is here and answering all the questions, phone calls, emails, etc., etc., on the show today. You want to reach out to Alex when we're all said and done. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Also, the website. Tons of info, free, anonymous pocketemploymentlawyer.ca and yes you will find the severance pay calculator wrapped up into that as well that tool has helped hundreds of thousands of people discover and realize open their eyes to what severance really should be so uh, don't discount that when you're on the website severance pay calculator all wrapped up there too okay you have to do something about it if you're offered a new employment agreement alarm bells going off brother tell me about it Absolutely, uh, John, especially uh, mid-employment. If you've been employed by a company for several years and out of nowhere they are rolling out new employment contracts and asking you to to sign on uh, new agreements, that should be a red flag most definitely. The reason why it's a red flag, John, is because that contract will likely uh, contain lots and lots of different and very complicated and very kind of legalese terms that benefit the employer uh, and actually take away a lot of rights of the employee. You know, we see a couple of examples of that on a really regular basis. One is when it comes to severance. A lot of new employment contracts will have language in them that limit an employee's severance entitlements. Big, big problem, because if that termination language is enforceable, you know, and as a quick aside here, lots of older contracts, John, have unenforceable termination language as we were mentioning to our to one of our previous callers uh, but new employment agreements may very well have enforceable termination language and that means that an employee's severance entitlements might actually be limited by that contract a lot of things a lot of terms that we see as well in new employment agreements are temporary layoff clauses or temporary layoff provisions that actually allow an employer to temporarily lay you off that's a problem because without that clause in a contract An employer is actually not allowed to temporarily lay off an employee. A temporary layoff is actually a termination, and and that employee would be owed severance. But if you have a paragraph in your employment contract that allows the company to lay you off, well, then you've agreed to that, and that's potentially a problem. There are lots of other examples, uh, John, of of terms that favor an employer, but the bottom line is, listen, if you're a current employee of a company and you're being offered a new agreement, it's not to benefit you. Yeah, it's to benefit right. the employer, and you definitely have to receive legal advice from an employment lawyer uh, when you're in a situation like that, John. It may actually make sense to reject the contract and say, actually, you know what? I've thought about it, guys. I'm not signing this. Thank mm-hmm. you very much, and deal with the consequences. And even if you do, even with your approval, your blessing to say, yeah, this employment contract, which is highly doubtful at that point, but I mean, if it does get your approval after someone does and should send you that contract before moving forward with it, does the company that handed it to you, your current employer, still have to offer you some sort of uh, a little bit of a throw you a bone to make it even legally binding at that point, some consideration? Yeah. So if you're if you're a current employee and you're being offered to sign a contract, the employer, if they want the contract to be enforceable, if they do this mm-hmm. properly, has to offer you something more 
than just continuing your employment. So there has to be a signing bonus there, or there has to be a raise there, or maybe even a promotion could be considered, you know, something, uh, something of consideration, something of substance. But it has to be more than just what you have right now. Otherwise, that contract, John, won't be worth the paper it's written on. Or a new car? No, that's that's generally not going to happen. <laughs> but uh, then, <laughs> can you imagine? Uh, another thing you have to think about, uh, or at least do something about, if and that is your employer changes, or um, pardon me, uh, you experience harassment at work. Got fouled up there, but yeah, that's a bad one. Yeah, uh, uh, of course, and and there's a couple of reasons why uh, something has to be done if you're being bullied at work, John, or if you're being harassed mm-hmm. uh, at at work. Number one, listen, no employee should be subject to that kind of uh, experience or that kind of behavior in the workplace. Every single employee in in Ontario and across the country has the right to be free from bullying and harassment in the workplace. That is in uh, that is well well established. It's in our laws. It's in our legislation. Uh, and and uh, certainly an employee should be standing up for themselves in a situation like that. The other reason why it's important to actually do something if you're being bullied and harassed at work is that. You are uh, the only way in which you can trigger the employer's obligation to protect an employee from uh, harassment and bullying in the workplace is if you actually make them aware of the behavior. And so you as an employee need to bring to your employer's attention the what you're experiencing in the workplace. And that will trigger a legal obligation on the part of the employer to do something about it without that trigger, without the employee actually bringing this to the employer's attention, the employer won't actually have that legal obligation unless it's you know blatantly obvious, unless they're witnessing it themselves. So a lot of times you do need to speak up for yourself, and that's how you get the wheels of in motion of what your legal protections are in the workplace when it comes to bullying. And that will do it for the day. There's so much more to get through, but we'll save it for the uh, the next show. Alex Lucifero is your guy, managing partner right there, managing lawyer at Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the land. Reach out anytime, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time, Employment Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.